Jan was my favorite sister. <laughs> okay, we're doing a poll. I'm just saying it now. Yes, I okay. want to do a PCS poll. Yeah. yeah, you know what? Listeners, mm-hmm. listeners sound off on Jan yep. Brady. I didn't realize this was going to be so contentious. Hello, world. There's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of loving is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who know the hustle and the bus stop and probably a little bit of square dancing too. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today we're kicking off season three by saving the beloved show that doesn't really need saving at all because we're all still talking about it thinking about it, and possibly even watching it. And that show is The Brady Bunch. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. Hello world, it's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. The Brady Bunch. It's arguably one of the most beloved, popular, and impactful television shows of all time. That's right. I said it. It was funny and relatable and adorable and goofy, and we all either wanted to be one of the Brady children or we had a crush on one of them. Seriously, is there anyone between the ages of 40 and 60 who doesn't only know each character like they are a blood relative, but who can sing the theme song, quote lines from the show at the drop of a hat, or recall specific episodes they haven't seen in decades from the recesses of their brains? This show, more than most others, is one that defines our generation. You guys, what is it about this show that makes everyone love it and makes it so long-lasting and even timeless, even though it's so dated now? Oh, and by the way, Kristen is not in her studio today, so if it sounds like she's in a dungeon, she is. Isn't that funny? I mean, there are certainly elements of the Bradford Principle, which is that there is a kid of every Mm -hmm. age in each gender, so that there's somebody for Mm -hmm. everybody in the family to identify with. It wasn't just cool teenagers or cute kindergartners. It was all of the necessary sitcom characters. No one was left out. Yeah, I think it holds up. I mean, I think this show, even though it is, it is fun to go back and watch it for the very retro dresses, certainly. My God, how short were their dresses, you guys? How'd they ride their bikes? And they like literally just covered their butt cheeks. Uh, They were darling. But anyway, it's so dated. If you think about the the clothes and the hairstyles and even the language, you know, the groovies and Mm -hmm. everything. However, I will argue that this show still holds up. I think it is because of the corniness and how square it seemed. I think that's one of the reasons it has this long-lasting impact. We still can get a chuckle out of it. We can sit down even with our kids if they would mm-hmm. sit down with us, yeah. and they can get a chuckle out of it. Oh, I mean, it's almost <laughs> like it's almost it's like so corny that you can watch it with your kids and be like, "Can you even believe it?" Like it's it's so right. bad, it's good. Yeah. Why did you guys? Why? So obviously, we all love the show. I think that goes without saying. Can you put into words why you think you loved it? Um, I'm going to say it's really hard to for me to pinpoint the reason. When you asked us that question, I just thought I can't 
think of one thing. Mm-hmm. It's just, again, this warm, happy feeling that I know I felt when I watched it, too. Um, I rarely watched it by myself that I think about it. My sister was usually a part of it. We always probably played some games with it. We could kind of guess what the next lines were. We could play some trivia mm-hmm. games while we were watching it. And again, because I only had one sibling, I think I loved that aspect of this big family where there was somebody for everybody. I could be the big sister. I could also be the little sister. Uh, those were just some of the reasons that I think I loved it. Carolyn, I think I I put down, I, I think I have a word for what your feeling is because I agree with you. All of those are the same reasons I loved it. The word comfort. It's a comfort yeah. show for me. It still is. And mm-hmm. I only watched it in reruns. You guys, I was not quite five. It went off the air March 8th, 1974. So I was just a couple of weeks shy of being five years old. I only watched this show in syndication. Again, after school, every day for years. Every Probably till I was maybe too old. And also yeah. with my sister, most of the time. It was a show that we both loved to watch together. We played Brady Bunch. Yes, we developed a whole Brady Bunch trivia game. We were going to have a big board game. Um, but I just feel like it was the film familiarity of the whole show. Um, the silliness, the kindness. It just brought me, it was so warm and fuzzy, it just brought me comfort. And it still does. I'm, I would not use the word loved in terms of how I felt about the Brady Bunch. Mm, really? I think it was more like I was attached to it. Oh, I really okay. did think they were squares and um, mildly annoying too, but oh. in a very familial way, in a very, right. like almost an affectionate way. Like I wanted okay. to protect them. You just saved yourself. And the stories were so... <laughs> you just saved your jaws. <laughs> right. That's right. Right. My job is safe now. There's a difference between how I felt about it at age five and how I felt about it um, you know, and when I'm watching it after school and high school, too, those are two different things. When mm-hmm. I was five, I did think that they were, you know, the prototype of what I wanted to grow up to be. But then as time goes on, my feelings change about it. And the stories were so familiar, I couldn't let them go. Yeah. So even though I'm watching this show in 1986 and I'm in high school at a time when you're trying so hard to be mature and sophisticated and just scrambling to get beyond everything that that marked you as a kid, I still clung to it. Okay, so society, everyone listening, I'm going to be giving you a lot of background and behind-the-scenes goodies today. And my source is a fantastic book I highly recommend. It's called Brady, 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 The Complete Story of the Brady Bunch, as told by the father-son team who really know. It's by Sherwood Schwartz and Lloyd Schwartz. It was published in 2010. Um, So it's not that recent. It's not terribly old, though. I got mine at Half Price Books for about $10, but it is still available on Amazon for $40, which is kind of pricey, but it's also, I know, but it's on Kindle I saw for $15. So I'm assuming you could get it there. You guys, I recommend this book so much. It's told in two parts. Sherwood Schwartz, who was the creator and the executive producer, tells the first writes the first half of the book, and then his son Lloyd writes the second half. And each chapter is super short. It's very fun. And it's full of the juiciest behind-the-scenes Brady Bunch tidbits you never knew you needed. Promise. So I'm going gonna—I'm going to be telling you guys a lot of those um, today. Sadly, Sherwood Schwartz died right after this book was published in 2011. Are any of the juicy tidbits going to kind of color my vision of the show that I nope. like? I like my rose-colored um, glasses. Right. You know, only only what I have to tell you about Ro- Mike Brady, about Robert Reed, but we kind of all knew this yeah. going into it, and that, mm-hmm. that'll come later. So let's start, actually, let's start right now with the big idea. So okay. in 1966, okay. 
Sherwood Schwartz, who was best known at the time as being the creator of Gilligan's Island, read a newspaper article one morning that said that in 1965, more than 29% of all marriages included at least one child from a previous marriage. And he had a light bulb moment. He knew there needed to be a TV show about a blended family because there was nothing like this on television at the time. That's a pretty progressive idea. Mm -hmm. For 1966. Yeah, I think so too. I actually was a little bit surprised by that stat for 1966. So he went immediately to the Writers Guild and registered his idea, which he called Yours and Mine, which was just a very brief and general general description of some of the plot lines, like oldest boy and oldest girl both run for student body president, or he wrote, the boys have a clubhouse and don't let the girls in. But he didn't have any details at all, like how many kids would be in the family, etc. So once he registered his idea with the Writers Guild, he spent some time fleshing out the characters, like how many kids there would be, what Mr. Brady would do for a living, where they lived, etc. He quickly wrote the wedding pilot, and he took it to the three networks. CBS and NBC rejected it. They said it was too unbelievable that they'd bring their kids on their honeymoon. Remember at the end, they miss uh-huh. the kids so much, they go yes, back and all the kids the come in. Parts. That's yes, cute. I that is the that. best part. That's the whole point of the episode. And even Tiger. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So, so they said, no, that's too unbelievable. But at ABC, and at the time, interesting, Michael Eisner and Barry Diller were joint VPs at ABC at the time in 1966. This is still 1966. And they loved the concept. They loved the script. But they wanted to use it as a two-hour movie, not a series. Well, Sherwood Schwartz insisted, this is not a movie. And he said, no, I can't do it. They said, no, you need to, you just need to rewrite it. He said, no, the script would have to be added to and changed too much. And he wouldn't budge. And they never reached an agreement. Sherwood Schwartz believed in his series so much, he stood his ground and it didn't get made. So now it's 1968. Okay. Okay. So two years went by. He said, no, I'm not going to budge. It's, I believe in this should be a series. Two years went by, as I said. And in 1968, the Lucille Ball movie came out called Yours, Mine, and Ours, which, as we know, was a very similar idea to Sherwood's Yours and Mine. So it was similar, both in title and in idea, and that movie became a huge hit. And actually, you guys, there was almost a lawsuit until Sherwood Schwartz had them check the date he'd registered his Yours and Mine idea with the Writers Guild. He's like, no, I registered it back in 1966. Check it out. And they were like, oh, yeah, you did. All right. Never mind. Um, (laughs) So now, since that movie's become a hit, ABC has a sudden renewed interest in the idea of a sitcom about a blended family. And they came back to Schwartz with a 13-episode offer. And you guys, The Brady Bunch was born. And it went on for five seasons. It knocked 11 NBC and CBS competing shows off the air. Oh my and goodness. Wow. It's been run- and it's been running in syndication ever since. In oh perpetuity. Gosh. It mm-hmm. will not go away. All because I really think it's all because, you know, Sherwood Schwartz stood his ground. It could have just been a TV movie mm-hmm. in 1966. And he said, nope, believe I believe in, in this as a series way too much. And we, isn't that amazing? That is amazing. And can I also say it's amazing that all you have to do is write things like, oldest brother and sister <laughs> run for student body president and you register that with the writers mm-hmm. guild and you have a show it's kind of like on. what getting can we register with the writers guild right i know three, seriously i was three gen x women start a podcast <laughs> right <laughs> oh my god we should be a sitcom yeah. well we are okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <We> are. <laughs> okay, now I have some really fun casting little morsels mm-hmm. for you. All right, um, so as far as the kids, Sherwood Schwartz wanted the kids to have the same color hair as their parents. 
But since he hadn't cast the parents yet when he cast the kids, he didn't know what color hair they'd have. So he needed six boys and six girls. He needed three boys with blonde hair, three with dark, three girls with blonde hair, three with dark. And in the book, he says, as a consequence, to this day, there are three dark-haired girls and three blonde (gasps) boys about 45 to 50 years old. This was in 2010. Yeah. Somewhere in the world who might have been the Brady Bunch kids, and they are just finding out about it if they are reading this. (laughs) They missed it by a hair. (gasps) Literally. (laughs) And I'm going to support Sherwood Schwartz. I'm going to support him in that decision because I think that is how I categorize. I mean, obviously, the girls go with girls and the boys go with boys, but there was a visual aspect to it that I I knew who belonged to whom, Mm -hmm. especially when you're really little and you have difficulty keeping track of all of those people. You guys, now we need to talk about Mike Brady, Robert Reed, a.k.a. the devil. I mean, he really is Mike Brady, because what the hell else did he do? Sorry, guys. Well, I'm sure you've heard horror stories about him on set, but I had no idea the extent of it. And Sherwood and Lloyd Schwartz do not hold back in this book. Um, The drama and difficulty all started because Robert Reed, he never wanted the role of Mike Brady to begin with, but he was under contract with Paramount. He'd been successful in a show called The Defender, and he had a really good, I forgot what they call it in the book, but he has like a really good like TV like image, like like they do this test where audiences loved him on The Mm -hmm. Defender. So Paramount put him under contract. Um, So in 1969, there were three Paramount pilots he was up for. He really wanted the other two badly. The other two were dramas. One was based on, I guess, a Robert Redford idea or movie and one on a Cary Grant. And he sort of fancied himself as this very serious actor. And he really, he he wanted to sort of be the next Cary Grant or Robert Redford, but he didn't get those parts. But Paramount, since he's under contract, didn't want to pay him to not work. So he was pushed in for Mike Brady. And he He did not- did not want to be on an unknown show with kids, a goofy, silly show. A square. But because of, yep, but because mm-hmm. of his contract, he had no choice. So that basically set the stage for five years of chaos and battles. Oh. He thought television, this type of television show, was beneath him. Um, he thought every plot line of The Brady Bunch was ridiculous. He would pick apart every single episode, refuse to read lines or be in scenes that he felt were faulty, Sherwood says, and Lloyd said, he carried around an Encyclopedia Britannica every single day on set, and he would check it. He would fact check it, and then he would write these long, scathing diatribes and dissertations to producers and the heads of ABC about why each episode was faulty and not factual. Oh, my God. Oh my every single time. Uh, for example, I'll give you a really quick example. There is an episode where Alice and Carol want to, they, they both think their strawberry preserves or jam is the best, and they're each going to make a giant <laughs> pot of it. And they're going to say- It's like right there, that's just like the squarest idea either. Yeah, right? Ever. So, oh my, my so the scene is, they're both stirring giant pots of strawberries on the stove, and Mike's supposed to walk in and go, mmm, that's something, that strawberry smell delicious. And he threw a huge fit and wrote like a four-page letter um, because strawberries aren't supposed to smell when they're cooking. Apparently, they don't have an odor. What uh, Sherwood Schwartz would do is he would cut the lines that Robert Reed would refuse to say, and he would give them to Florence and Ann B. Davis because they all got along great. Um, He would be rude. He would cuss them out publicly on set. He was very hostile towards Sherwood Schwartz and his son for all five years. One time, you guys, when Sherwood Schwartz called action 
Robert Reed looked right into the camera and said, Sherwood Schwartz, I hope you burn in hell for making me do this scene. What in what? the actual mm-hmm. hell? Yep. And all of this, thankfully, was after the kids were off set. They didn't okay. really know about this conflict because as kids, they only have a very finite time they can be on set and then they yeah. have to be in school. So they would try to do all their scenes like earlier. I don't think they knew about the contention as much, but it wasn't just Sherwood Schwartz and Lloyd Schwartz. One director, you know, they had different directors, um, kind of a rotating uh, list of directors. One director after the episode looked at Sherwood Schwartz and said, what's this guy doing in situational comedy? He's as much fun as a temporary filling. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is so interesting, Michelle, because this is, um, and we're going to talk about this later, but it's helping me um, get some context for some, some comments and feelings that I have when we talk later. I'm like changing mm-hmm. in my mind as we're talking what, oh, what I need yeah. to share with you. I was watching old Brady Bunch episodes in preparation for, for this episode. Now, I, I, I don't look at Mike Brady differently, but now I'm trying to wonder, like, oh, when he said that line, do you think that was one of them? Because that was kind of a goofy line. Now I can, now I can mm-hmm. tell places where I could mm-hmm. glean his annoyance. Mm-hmm. Another thing is, um, this is a funny story. Uh, when Florence Henderson kissed him for the first time in the wedding scene, she walked over to Sherwood Schwartz and just said, he's gay. Schwartz said... <laughs> Schwartz goes, Schwartz, Schwartz says, how do you know? And Florence Henderson says, I've kissed a lot of men. No straight man kisses a woman like that. <laughs> it was by like the way, 1969 gaydar. And by the way, Sherwood Schwartz and Lloyd Schwartz both say they knew that he was gay from the beginning. His sexuality was never a factor. He was just yeah. um, an asshole. That really makes you think, doesn't it? And now a pause for station identification. Here's a story of a Gen X podcast who was asking everybody for some help. <laughs> nope, uh, no, 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 no. Michelle, stop, please. Okay, stop, fine. Please. Stop. Fine. But you guys, we really need to get an important message across to our listeners. And I know they really enjoy my singing. No, no. Michelle, what? no. Yes. Do no. no. I don't enjoy it and they don't no. enjoy it. No. Mm-mm. Boo. Okay, fine. I can wrap it if you guys want. Oh, oh, I could do it as a dramatic reading. I'm, I'm good at that. <laughs> Actually, you guys, I think these are all excellent ideas. But since they probably want us to get back to the Brady Bunch, let's just tell them super quickly in a rhyme. A oh rhyme. No, please. let's do it. You guys, let's just try it. Okay, you guys ready? Okay. okay. If you like what you hear, please lend an ear. Leave us a rating, but please don't be grating. To show us you care, we'd be so grateful if you'd share. Follow or subscribe and become one of our tribe. To keep us talking, we need you to be stalking. No, no, no Carolyn, Carolyn. No, 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 don't do that. Yeah, do that's not do too that. far, Carolyn. You know what I mean. They need to follow not just the podcast, but our social media too. <laughs> okay, fine. You meant well. But maybe let's just leave it at... Please subscribe where you listen, leave a nice review, and share your love of our show with friends. That'll keep us nice and safe. (laughs) You guys, but I really like my rhyme. (laughs) And now, if you are still with us, back to our show. 
All right, so as we know, this show was very much character-driven. In fact, the show was always centered around the kids. Like I said, Sherwood felt that each kid would be identifiable to a segment of the audience. Kristen, kind of like you said earlier, Mm -hmm. there's all these ages. Um, So the stories were created that featured a different child on a rotating episode each week. Rarely were episodes centered around the parents or Alice. Anyway, so let's talk about the characters because I know we all have ones we loved Mm -hmm. and ones we might not have been as fond of, and I know our listeners do as well. So Bobby, let's start. Let's we're going to go youngest to oldest. Let's start with Bobby, Carolyn. Okay, Bobby. I was the most neutral about Bobby. You know, Mm -hmm. he was there and he was cute, but I don't really have feelings one way or the other about about Bobby. (laughs) Sorry, that might not be a fun way to start. I'll go you one better. I thought Bobby was a dumb boy. Oh, I mean, thought he was a what? A dumb, dumb boy. boy. He's oh. a dumb boy. Okay. Yeah. I always kind of, I, I sort of feel like you did, uh, Carolyn. I, I liked Bobby. I, you know, sometimes the, his, the way he said words and lines um, kind of um, bugged me. Did you guys know they had to dye his hair for the first season? You know how I said that they had Ooh. three, they needed three girls that were blonde and three yeah. Boys yeah. that were blonde and three, so they they cast the three obviously the three blonde girls and the three dark haired boys. But Mike Lookinland's hair wasn't quite dark enough; it was almost like a light brown. So they dyed it. Go back and watch season one. It's like shoe polish black. It's poor oh, little God. boy. He got his hair poor because Bobby. they liked him best. They liked him best for for Bobby. So um, another fun fact is Mike Lookinland was offered the part of Eddie in Courtship of Eddie's Father at the same time he was offered the part of Bobby. And he picked oh, the Brady Bunch because his mother thought it would be a healthier environment for him to be around other kids on set. He would not have been a good Eddie. Wow. That <laughs> no. Brandon Cruz, isn't it Brandon Cruz? Brandon Cruz was because he was far more endearing than Bobby. I mean, I realize Bobby mm-hmm. is a character, um, not a real person, <laughs> but nonetheless, one yeah. is endearing and one is a dumb boy. Yeah. Oh. Kind of a no-brainer. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Cindy. Okay, I'm going to say, ugh. And right now oh. I'm putting, <laughs> I was not a Cindy fan. Well, Those are some strong feelings. I'm going to qualify that with, I kind of liked, okay, the curly, pigtailed, younger Cindy. Like, she was mm-hmm. okay, kind of mm-hmm. cutesy. And it just went downhill from there. Mm-hmm. She got on my nerves when she started to wear the braids. And then the clincher for me was when those braids were piled on top of her head, and she thinks she's all that on the quiz show. Oh. And the red light on the camera goes on. and With her she tiny gets, little dress. Yeah. And yeah. then those bug eyes and mm-hmm. that hair, and she just looks in the camera, and ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not a fan. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> what about you, I, um, I thought you Cindy was, um, was an annoying little baby. And... But I did enjoy the shenanigans that she had with Bobby. I thought they were a good mm-hmm. duo together. And, but unlike Carolyn, I started to like her better when she started, when the braids were gone, <gasps> when the pigtails were gone, and her hair was long. Oh, and then, then the Then I was curls? on board. Yeah, she had, yep, all long hair with the bangs and the sausage Mm-mm. curls. Then I was on board with Cindy. She had a little more credibility to me because she was no longer an annoying baby. She might have still oh. been annoying, but she wasn't an annoying little baby. Oh, I totally disagree. I actually, I loved baby Cindy, especially seasons one and two. I think she is darling. When I go back and watch seasons one and two and that little lisp and that little, and it, season one, her little pigtails are tiny too. They're little right. tiny curls. And I think yes, she's adorable. Right. She's just a little, little baby bumps. Cindy. But like Carolyn, mm-hmm. 
once we get into the braids, I'm done with Cindy. Like I felt like they were still trying to make her too babyish in the things she yeah. said and did. And then once the hair goes down, I'm done. Like I did not like her because like at least Jan and Marsha just had natural, like they looked like normal girls, but their hair was just kind of down and messy and straight. Yeah. But what's with Cindy was still the sausage curls. It was sort of like a Nellie Olsen type vibe I got from okay, her. Okay, that is true. Older. So I should clarify. It's not that I liked her hair. I, that was weird. Especially in contrast to Marsha and, and Jan, whose hair was coveted by every American yes. teenage girl in America. Um, yeah, it's not her hair that I liked. It was her persona changed once okay. she got rid of the braids and she became less of a little baby. But okay. for the show, that might have been a negative because she wasn't cute anymore. Yeah, but that's when, that's the season she's running around with Cousin Oliver and they're still trying to make her little because she's like, her and Cousin Oliver are always in cahoots and doing yeah. stuff. And bleh. Okay, mm-hmm. Peter, let's go. Let's move on to yep. Peter. Peter is my favorite. Me too. I loved, I loved Peter. <laughs> I did. I thought he was funny, but he was sentimental, and he was just always seemed to be willing to do stuff to help other people in the family. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like in the very beginning, when um, I think it was maybe season one, but somebody was making fun of um, Cindy's lisp. You know, the little there was yep. like a bully. Yep. And baby talk. Peter baby talk. It's beat him up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then he had the big shiner that they put the steak on. And he, sorry, that's on a side. It's like a what cartoon. Is the thing with steak and, and black eyes? I've never I know, understood why steak? that. I've had black eyes before, and I no one ever put steak on them. And anyway, they did um, because they had to do it on Peter's eye because he was a little hero. Yeah. And I've just mm-hmm. I always yep. loved Peter, probably because also I he's the one maybe I could relate to. He mm-hmm. was closest to my age maybe when I oh, was maybe, watching yeah. some mm-hmm. of that and. Um, yeah, so he was my hero. I liked him. My favorite. Kristen, what about you? Um, Peter, for me, was the best way I can classify it is almost cute. Almost. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's totally mm-hmm. true. He's almost yeah. cute. Not he's quite crush-worthy. Not I don't, have, I don't have a crush yeah. on him, but he's kind of cute. He's cute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And he was, I totally agree with both of you. He was, I have written down that he was my favorite Brady brother. I mm-hmm. loved him in almost every episode. I don't think there's one Brady Bunch episode where I'm annoyed with Peter. Yeah, Peter's just an all-around nice guy. Um, mm-hmm. And speaking of um, favorite characters, let's talk about Jan. <laughs> well. Just kidding. Yeah, because she I did is that my... because it was Carolyn. Because <laughs> yes. I know Carolyn does not like Jan. <laughs> She's my least favorite character. So the irony of those middle children, Peter being my favorite and Jan my least favorite, yuck. Weiner always was, and I never, ever forgave her for being so mean to Aunt Jenny. There's no guarantee that you're going to look like Aunt Jenny. But can you give me a positive guarantee that I won't end up looking like Aunt Jenny? She could not redeem herself from her Aunt Jenny exploits. Even though she, in the end, tried to, you know, realize it was okay, I just thought, you cannot be that mean to your aunt. How did you make her feel? (laughs) So I do not like Jan, didn't, don't, the end. Wow. <laughs> Tell us how you Not much really more to feel. talk about. She just whines. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. What about you, Kristen? Jan was my girl. She was the realest one. She was the, and her mm-hmm. hair was my spirit animal. Like, especially when she had the little curls. Oh my Carolyn is putting her just, finger just in her right belt here. right now. Just, yeah, just the little her curls temples. right her in the front. Oh, I yep. loved them so much. And I had babysitters who had that hair. And my dad taught high school, and I would go to school with him, and the girls would have those little curls in front of their ears. And so those curls in front of your ears was sort of a symbol to me of being a teenager, and I wanted to be a teenager Mm -hmm. so badly. I'm going to split the tie here. Are you guys ready? 
Okay. No, Jan, I know what you're doing. Jan was my favorite sister. <laughs> okay, we're doing a poll. I'm just saying it now. Yes, I, I want to do a PCBS poll. Yeah, yeah, you know what, listeners, mm-hmm. listeners, sound off on Jan yep. Brady. I didn't realize this was going to be so contentious. Very um, contentious. I, I wrote down, I loved her hair. Mm. She was my favorite sister. I just think she's hilarious. I loved any episode that was Jan. I love probably one of the funniest things in my life is when she puts that brown wig on and you can see all her blonde hair sticking out, but she thinks it's beautiful and then she can't let anybody see. So she puts the giant towel on her head. It's also kind of poignant, right? She was the most vulnerable one, which made her the most authentic one. Uh But there were some that were just yep. too, too mm-hmm. perfect, and I didn't mm-hmm. believe it. I just didn't mm-hmm. believe it. I love Jan. Well, she whined too much. Remember, the whole reason that she got the black the black wig was because she thought nobody noticed her. Right, because, because it's so sad. She has to be, I was somebody's little, see, you know what, here we were doing, you're the older sister in your family. Oh, I was the yes. younger sister. When I mm-hmm. went to high school, we went to a very small high school. I was from every teacher, from every kid. I was Melanie's younger sister. I was Melanie's yep. little sister. I totally understand Jan wanting to. She didn't do it out of spite. She didn't do anything mean to Marsha or Cindy. I she mean, just wanted her own identity. We have a whole thing called middle child syndrome, which I've heard people refer to as Jan Brady syndrome. So again, we go back to the realness, the authenticity mm-hmm. of what Jan was experiencing okay. that other kids weren't. So yeah, she was a whiner, but she had good reason. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. I think well, so. Okay, well, let's move well, on. Wait, to hold I feel on. like I there's a little know. ding, 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 ding. She did not have any reason to be mean to Aunt Jenny. The end. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, the psychology major. We're not going to discuss this right now, but I can tell you <laughs> that actually is a real moment for me too, because I, like you, felt really bad about what she did to Aunt Jenny. I'm like, no, 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 you mm-hmm. can't do that. And yet I understood how conflicted she was. Her sense of self was being threatened, and that made her behave poorly. Okay. <laughs> I still don't like her, but go ahead. I think we're all going to get PhDs in Brady Bunch. <laughs> I think we should. That's a good, oh, that would be the best degree. Mm-hmm. I would be so proud of that. Okay, mm-hmm. yes. moving on to Johnny Bravo. Let's <laughs> talk about Greg. Well, he was the older brother I always wanted. I didn't, I wasn't really attracted to him. Like, I don't think I really had a crush on him. I just, he seemed like he would always take care of me and he always took care of his siblings and was kind of always there. So I saw him as that responsible older brother that if I had one, I wouldn't have to be in charge of stuff. Because I think as an older sister, I always felt like I had to be on the lookout for things and it was my responsibility. But if I had an older brother like Greg, he would, he'd take care of me. So I, I loved him for that. I, um, Greg really thought he was the cool one, which mm-hmm. rubbed me the wrong way. So <laughs> he thought he was cool, which made him geeky. Kristen, I have, I have a love-hate relationship with Greg because he always acted too cool for me. Yes. He always tried. He sort yep. of had this air of, I'm too snooty and cool for everyone else, mm-hmm. but I'm too. But at the same time, I can't, I can't necessarily say I didn't like him. All right. Let's talk about Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. All right. Well. I'm afraid to say it. (laughs) You would not be alone. You're not alone, Carolyn. Well, around you two, it seems like. (laughs) That's okay. It makes for a good debate. It'd be so boring if we all agreed. Yes, I I loved Marsha. I did. And probably because she was the oldest sister and I could kind of relate to probably some of the qualities that some of you all 
and I'm not assuming what you're going to say, but that some people didn't like her for, I could relate to her. Like, you know, telling the younger ones what to do, maybe, and knowing what was best for everybody. Um, and I saw myself a little bit in that role, so I could identify the most mm-hmm. probably with Marcia. And for that reason, of course, I had to love her. Yeah. Thinking she knew what was best for everybody, I should, I'd like to, I'd like yeah, to say. I said that. <laughs> you said, oh, no, you oh, said, I said knowing. She, you said knowing <laughs> yeah. what was best for yeah, everybody. Yeah, I have that in my typical, notes, too. Knowing. Typical older sister. <laughs> yeah, typical big sister. Typical. Uh, little slip oh, there. Typical. This is true. Um, and typical younger sister me going, mm, thinking yeah. she knew what was best for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. That sums it up. Um, Marsha, she thought she was cool, which made her geeky. <laughs> Same story. Different person. Um, I love young Marsha and I feel a little bit the same as I do with Greg, but I would say uh, seasons one through three, I love Marsha. I love her with a very, very, um, hard side part and the low pigtails oh, in like seasons that. one. Cute. And yeah. She's mm-hmm. very cute. Um, I will say then, um, so if I'm thinking of the entire series, I'll say I love Marsha about 75% of the time because also as she gets older, she kind of falls into that. I think I'm a know-it-all. I think I know everything. Um, but at the same time, I thought she was super groovy and it was kind of like, you're pretty cool. And I was kind of in awe of her, I think, but it bugged me too when she would kind of throw the, I'm cooler than everybody else thing. You know, I do think this is interesting. That's a little sister thing. That's what mm-hmm. we felt about our big sisters. Ugh. Mm-hmm. I roll when they think they're so cool and they know it all, right? Yep. So that's probably yep. one reason that Greg and Marsha, I sort of have a love-hate relationship with both of them. Um, okay, moving on to Carol. Well, who didn't like Carol? I guess. I mean, I lo- I loved Carol. I thought she was a great mom, and yeah, I don't really have, I guess, any real negative feelings about Carol because I also love Florence Anderson. So sometimes those people kind of get mixed because you know when like she was on Dancing bagel. With, with the Stars. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. She's like a plain bagel. Like who doesn't it's fine. like a plain bagel? Yeah. yeah. There's nothing fancy about her, no. except for that <laughs> hair. You guys, I loved the mullet with the curled up bottom. Uh, Sherwood Schwartz calls it the, or it was either Sherwood or Lloyd calls it the ski jump. That okay. was the, like the, the, the curled up at the bottom. It's so awful that it's fabulous. You guys, I was afraid to get my hair cut because of Carol Brady, because of that <laughs> haircut. Because I conceived in my brain that when you got your haircut and you had like a nice little chin length bob, then when your hair began to grow... <laughs> It would come out, like you would keep that little chin-length bob, and your hair would grow straight out of it, straight down into the ski jump. And I did not want that haircut. You guys, I didn't get my haircut till I was nine years old. <gasps> did you have Jam Brady hair? Oh, yes. Wow. Yes, I did. Well, uh, with bangs. Yeah. yeah. Long, so cute. Long, frizzy hair with bangs. I did not get my first haircut until I was nine years old, and oh. I think that was Dorothy Hamill's fault. We need to separate Mike Brady from Robert Reed. So right now, we're not talking Robert Reed. We're talking Mike Brady. Carolyn, how'd you feel about Mike Brady? Not a fan. Um, Really? Yeah. No. And I think now, again, I have to qualify this because this has been when I've been rewatching it. I think when he was on, it was like, that's the dad, whatever. I don't really think I paid much attention. Um, But coming back. Back to watching it. Now, he was kind of condescending a lot. It was like he kind of had the final say. He was he was the dad. He mm-hmm. was the male kind of. I felt like that's how he talked to Carol a lot. Like, oh, it's okay, honey. That kind of thing, which I obviously am not a fan of now. And maybe even rubbed me the wrong way then. So, mm. yeah, I was, I'm not a Mike fan. I agree with you. 
his, even as a child, his blanket authority bugged me. Why does everyone defer to him? He's just sitting in his office doing drawings. Yeah. I didn't understand why he had any authority when it was Alice and Carol who were in the kitchen and directing the kids and doing all of the stuff. And he just said they're making drawings. And yet everyone felt like they had to pass everything through him. And now I'm understanding, I'm wondering, could this be where my own husband learned to do dad speak? Which, trust me, we've had more than one argument about his dad speak. Because it's all about, you know, you need to learn to take responsibility for your actions. There are consequences to your actions, young man. And I swear to God, every time you say the word responsibility or consequences or you need to learn to, no matter who your child is, their eyes roll way back in their head and they stop listening. It is not an effective form Mm -hmm. of parenting, Mike Brady. And yet every, every time he said it, the kids would be like, you're right, dad. Yeah. (laughs) No, they're not. They're rolling their eyes. They can't wait for you to stop talking. Yeah. I didn't have um, a big problem with Mike Brady. I guess I could just say sort of like Carol. I liked him just fine as parents, except for I hated it when he got all serious and he'd he'd call Bob. Bob. Instead of Bobby, he'd be like, well, you know, Bob. I hated that. (laughs) Go back and watch the really serious ones. You know, when it's starting to go like, do, 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 do. And he'll be like, Bob, we need to talk. <laughs> and I hated that when he got all serious. Okay, um, Alice. Let's let's talk about Alice. I loved Alice. I yeah, mean, she's the real MVP, isn't she? She really oh, is. She is. She's the funny, lighthearted, but always there when you need her and really aware. I just felt like she always kind of had her finger on the pulse of how everybody was mm-hmm. doing in the family. And Yeah, more than I, anybody I, else. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I loved her for that. And I loved her little relationship with Sam. Sam yes, yeah. and I loved that. And the few times she got to wear real clothes. I know. <laughs> Get out of her uniform. And now to find out that she was, like, younger than we are right now when oh. she played that part, kind of, that's a punch to the gut. Yes, but I is. loved Alice. I did. What about you, Kristen? In my heart, I always sort of felt like I was destined to be Alice. Like, I was always going to be the person who ended up riding backwards on her horse in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> I'm, right, the, the foibles. The foibles I knew would fall yeah. upon me, and I would just be like, all right, I guess we're going to ride our horse backwards. <laughs> I do think this is funny, wrapping up just the characters. Sherwood Short says, all in all, we were lucky with this cast. Florence Henderson was wonderful and a dream to work with. Ann B. Davis was wonderful and a joy on set. The six kids were wonderful and were always willing to go the extra mile. And Bob, well, eight out of nine isn't bad. Oh, gosh. <laughs> They're just so out with it. He must have been such a dick that they didn't even worry about burning that bridge. There's one character we forgot to talk about, and I have a really funny story about Tiger. Um, it's kind of a tragic story. Um, so um, do you guys remember the episode? It's early on, and Jan, they think she's allergic to tiger, but turns out she's yes. just allergic to tiger's flea powder. Yes. So um, <clears throat> there's a heartfelt se- This is, I'm reading now straight from the book, Brady, 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 Brady. There is a heartfelt sequence that has each of the boys saying goodbye to tiger. The dog was placed in the boys' bedroom set, and I retrieved Mike Lookinland from the schoolroom. Bobby Brady was ready. The dog was ready, so I thought. And the camera rolled. The director said, action. And the dog promptly ran off set. Dogs aren't people. They're entitled to an aberration. The trainer put the dog back on the set. Same scenario. After the dog ran off again, I went to the trainer. What's with the dog? 
The trainer then said words that you never want anyone to say in any situation, especially not when the lights are on and you're filming an expensive network TV show. I was afraid of this, he said. Tell me. That's not Tiger. Tiger was home and he got out. He was hit by a car and killed. (gasps) Oh, what? I was taken aback. Oh my God, that's terrible. I'm really sorry. Me oh too. He was, a, he was a good dog. Oh God. Then I realized that if this dog wasn't Tiger, who was it? I asked, then what dog is this? He confessed, well, I didn't know what to do. So on the way in, I stopped off at the pound and you put no. an untrained dog in the center of a set and we're filming? I was hoping it would work. The costliest time for any production is shooting. All the salaries and equipment add up to thousands of dollars an hour, and we were depending on an untrained dog to stay. I looked around for the key grip, who always had a hammer ready. Larry, he came over. Larry, (laughs) nail the dog to the floor. (laughs) Now, before you report me to the SPCA, Larry and I both knew I didn't really mean put a nail through the dog's paw. But Larry carefully put a nail through the dog's collar, and we filmed the tearful goodbye. (sighs) That so go back hilarious. and watch that episode. And he's the tiger you the see ground. at the end, the, well, he's nailed oh to the ground, God. and the tiger you see at the end is not the tiger you see at the beginning of that episode. And whatever happened to the cat? Well, oh, that's yeah. a good question. What was the you cat's know? name? It was like it wasn't Miss Chris, but it was something like that. Did Chris. they bring the it cat? It was like Fifi or something. Fifi. On the Did the cat go on the honeymoon? No. Yeah, when they, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, 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 when they come the in the girls thing? are carrying the cat carrier. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. The girls one I think Marsha's carrying the cat carrier. It has like a uh, I feel like in my memory it has a um, cover over it, but she's carrying the cat carrier into the hotel. Huh. And then they mm-hmm. never talk about the cat again. But you know what else guys? I think the music could be considered a character. Oh, I, I think mm, that music mm-hmm. from Brady Bunch is iconic. And as we learned in our TV theme PCPS episode, uh, Sherwood Schwartz wrote the lyrics, those classic, iconic mm-hmm. lyrics to the show's theme song, and it sets up the premise to the show. As we could start right now, here's a story <laughs> of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. All of them had hair of gold, like their mother, the youngest one in curls. Uh, but he needed someone to compose the music. And he looked no further than a man named Frank Duvall, who had composed music to some of actually my favorite TV theme songs. He composed the music to Family Affair and My Three Sons. Oh. So classic, classic. You know, that's so funny, Carolyn, because sometimes I'll go to sing the Family Affair theme, you know, as you do. Doesn't yeah. everybody do that? Um, I go, I will go to sing the Family yeah. Affair theme. And then after a minute, I'm like, wait, is that My Three Sons? Yeah, wait. Okay, let me think. I do I'm that thinking. all the here's time. What came, here's what came into my head. Okay. Do, 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 do. My three sons. Do, 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 do. Oh. <laughs> no, I think that was family affair. No, that's, no family affair is do, 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 Yes, I do, 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 This is PCPS gold right here. (laughs) The discussion between the family affair theme and the Mighty Sons theme. Guys, do not turn us off. We have some really don't turn it off. We have some fun stuff coming up later in this episode. That's right. So we just hit upon a really important point. We did, and we know the common denominator to these three classic theme songs is Frank Duvall. And um, so Sherwood shared the lyrics with Frank, who then composed, as we've just said, one of the most identifiable Mm -hmm. and iconic tunes in TV history. 
And Shirtwood loved the tune so much, particularly for its versatility and adaptability. If you think about it, when the music is played slowly, we get this melancholy feel. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Kristen and Michelle, why don't you give me a slow rendition of when the we theme know song. someone's someone's walking and sad. No, or, okay, that's one. Oh, wait, where it goes? No, that's where it just goes. Family affair. Do, 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 there yeah. we go. <laughs> do, 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 do. But Michelle, now something. Something fun and happy has happened. We've oh, something fun and happy. We've resolved the issue. How's that go? It goes do 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 do. And then we change the rhythm just a little bit. We get a little They would, or the instruments that were maybe playing it. There were all these ways that they could play with the sound to give us a different feel. And honestly, I think that there are scenes. That if um, you closed your eyes and you just heard the music, that you could probably tell me what was happening in that scene. Like when they're riding the mules in the Grand Canyon. Or when that tarantula was crawling on Peter. Yep. You would know that. Yep. And there is a great website, and I will put it in the show notes, that one of our followers shared with us which has 30 or more just instrumental clips from different scenes in the show throughout all the seasons. It is amazing. It is so fun. And I challenge you to go on and just push one of those links and listen, and you'll know, oh, that's that's the mule scene. That's when they were in the ghost town. So many ways that that music is like another character totally. in the show. Totally, yep. So when you ask people what their favorite episodes are, there's a broad assumption of which one we were most, which one, I'm saying, which one we were most Mm -hmm. excited to see (laughs) pop up on some random Wednesday afternoon after school. And that is, which episode were we most excited to see? And what are the Society members' top Brady Bunch episodes? Well, tune in next week for the dramatic conclusion of Here's a Story, The Brady Bunch. Until then, you know what to do. Keep on, keep on, keep on moving, gonna keep on, keep on, keep on moving, keep on singing and dancing all through the night. Information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to me, the Crushologist, and Carolyn and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, I guess there's always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded at Modern Well, a woman-centered co-working space in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. We get a happy feeling when we're singing a song.